Welcome back, everybody, to Opportunity Knocks, the podcast for small business owners, entrepreneurs, salespeople, hustlers, people of all types who want to get shit done, make a difference for other people. Uh, today's guest is a special, not that any other guest is not special and fantastic. Oh, stop it. But Ed, <laughs> today's guest is a special one for me because he's put me in a position to do the stuff that I'm doing right now. And I think our second meeting ever. Mm-hmm. Sitting down with him and his number, we'll call him his number one videographer on his team at the time, because I think he was, mm-hmm. uh, said to me, you need to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. And that was About a year ago, a year. It, it'll be, I think it'll be a year next month. Mm-hmm. So let's get to the point. My name is Dean Miller. I'm your host. And today's special guest is Ed, the one and only Ed Turney. Ed, What's thank up? you so much for joining us. Thanks, man. So we're I love gonna, this office, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate it. it you know, it's, it's my dump and I'm happy. Yeah. It works for us right now. <laughs> yeah, it's functional. Yeah. Eventually yeah. we will have real furniture that doesn't fold up and collapse. Dude, but I'm for fine. now, it serves its I'm purpose. I'm not fancy. Corey knows. We're we not got, fancy. We got an empty box as a desk <laughs> over there that we use okay. and, it, and it's working. But Perfect. we'll, we'll quote yeah. unquote professionalize it yeah, by yeah. my standards, not by mm-hmm. professional standards. Right. <laughs> Ed is the owner of, it's Rock, Rockstar, Rockstar Kickboxing. Kickboxing. Yep. What, what is technically the name of your media company? Technically, it's Daily Turn Media. It's okay. the corporate name. Because we've been going ETM. back and forth. Yeah. Uh, and Ed is one of those guys who, as he mentioned just before we went live, he's a mindset guy. He is yeah. a hard worker. He's a hustler. He's an innovator. He's open-minded. He was at one point a huge Gary V fanboy. And I would like to, I would like <laughs> yeah. to proudly say we are both no yeah. longer fanboys, but we are... <laughs> We take action on what we've learned. Yeah. Ed and yeah. I had the privilege of meeting through Gary Vaynerchuk's 4Ds alumni group. I think you were in group Yeah, that's one. how it started, right? You were yeah, in, we were in the first group. And I was in group two. Yep. Um, because I had to cancel because I had that damn restaurant. I couldn't get out of Oh, that's right. Oh, event. so we were supposed to be in the same one I together. I was supposed to be in the same one. Oh, that's one, cool. Yeah. But we, we met shortly after that, I think. Uh, yeah. And there's a small handful of us from the island yep. uh, who all had the pleasure of experience, experiencing that, which mm-hmm. is an absolutely mind-blowing event. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, let's jump right in. You took massive action the minute you left that office. Yeah. So we were already doing a vlog for the kickboxing gym right. at the time. And then Gary kind of looked at me and was like, why aren't you doing it for you? In so many words. And like, you know that, but when Gary looks in your face and tells you, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then, knows a few things more than we do at that point. Yeah. And so, you know, the first real episode for my vlog was that me, you know, going to Vayner because it was experience. Yep. And then uh, I think me and Jason did like 85 episodes, something like that. Wow. Um, yeah, that was a fun year. Like 18 months total, but that one year when he was like full, full time. You were cranking him out. Yeah, it was fun. It was every day. Like yeah. it was just, I mean, you know, my girlfriend, Lindsay, they're like him and her and Jason are like best friends. She'd be like, you spend more time with my boyfriend than I do. Then <laughs> she'd be like, you spend more time with my best friend than I do. <laughs> like just be nine, 10 hours a day. You, you refer. So I'll, I'll take a jump back. Yeah. So January of 2018, I go down to Florida for uh, Agent 2021 event, Gary Vaynerchuk's first real estate sales world conference. Um, One of the first kind of public, you can buy a ticket events run just by the company. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, I've been kind of embedded in their world for a couple of years. And, you know, they had done events at my restaurant a couple of times. And and I've always had a very open line of communication with D-Rock. And Mm -hmm. before Gary became huge, I used to get a lot more interaction from him. And I completely understand it. You know, he's got millions of followers as opposed to one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I had the pleasure of meeting him years ago. Uh, in a tiny airport, little airport right? in Turks yeah. and Caicos. Yep. My, my youngest daughter was, I think three at the time, maybe even two. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
Uh, Gary had one child and his wife and I met them, but I, and I think she was pregnant at the time too. So that'll give you a little more insight, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't recognize either of them if I tripped over them. Right. Uh, he does a great job of keeping them very private. Right. Um, but I've always loved his world. I've, I used to consume his content very regularly mm-hmm. and he put out a piece one day that says, stop watching my content yeah. and start watching what I do. Yeah. And I immediately resonated with that. Mm-hmm. And since then, I occasionally watch some of it for the entertainment value, mm-hmm. but I'm always watching out of the corner of my eye, what he's doing. What's where. the strategy? You yeah. know, when yeah. all of a sudden there's a little in the videos that he's doing, mm-hmm. why did he do that? Mm-hmm. Let's start to understand it. Let's reach out to those people at Vayner and ask mm-hmm. the questions because if you ask a hundred times, someone's bound to answer you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're great like that. We're in such a unique position too, that we're really so are. close yep. and that we have an open door policy with them. Yeah. I mean, we literally could call somebody yeah. in that office right now and say, I need a conference room yeah. tomorrow for an hour. Yeah. And, and there's a 95% chance that it'll be available yeah, for us. But I struggle with asking anyone for anything. I'm the same way. I'm the <laughs> I just same don't way. like doing it. And because I don't want to feel that I'm ever taking advantage ever. of anybody. Yeah. Ever. So I, I go back to that event in Florida and I'm talking to D rock and I got my buddy, Danny Griffin there with me. And mm-hmm. uh, I had just introduced Danny to him and Danny was just starting to kind of learn a little bit about Gary's world over mm-hmm. the previous year. I would say, mm-hmm. even though I think Garrett, Danny was the guy who introduced me to him through a DVD he had done years ago at a Tony Robbins Robbins event. Wow. Again, rabbit hole. Back out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I'll never forget. D-Rock looked at me, the end of our conversation, the three of us are there. And he says, if you don't start doing this soon, I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking around like, nobody got this on. Nobody got this recorded. Holy <laughs> shit. This is an opportunity. Be a great moment. So yeah. I refer to it all the time and stuff that I do. He's when such I started a mild-mannered yeah. guy too. But, you know, <laughs> he, he got my personality right yeah. away. Yeah. And as mild-mannered as he is, he, oh, he's he goes, got that yeah. sarcasm gene in him. He, yeah, knows, yeah, how to, yeah. he knows how to give it yeah, and yeah, take yeah. it. And that's what I love about him. Is he a New Yorker? Uh, yeah. Is he a New Yorker? No, he's from, he's from uh, where's D-Rock from? So I think Pennsylvania? Yeah. East Coast, though. Yeah. He needs oh, yeah. Coast close, close enough. Yeah, not, yeah. not city or island. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I took it to heart, even though it took me a while. And mm-hmm. that's when eventually I, I kind of connected with you. Yeah. And through well, you started pretty fast though. Yeah. I mean, once, so once you said go, it was, I believe it was October that we shot the first one because mm-hmm. Jason got hired. Jason Morena, who mm-hmm. worked for you, mm-hmm. got hired by Vayner mm-hmm. two days later, I think, or maybe three. Was it the, that the close? Next, the next week. It was I, that week. I got the it? finished piece. So funny. And he was gone the next week. So fast. And then yeah. uh, it's like, uh, and that was, that was the lead in. That was your bait to get me to hire you guys. Right. It was a brilliant move. Right, right. And Jason was an extremely talented. Yep. Um, what's the word? He was great with the camera, knows how to edit, mm-hmm. but he was very talented getting me to engage. Cause I, yes. listen, I've never walked around with a mic. I'm like, yeah. all right, here we go. I'm mic'd up. Yeah, what do we yeah, do? Yeah. And yeah, he yeah. would just say, Go do your thing. When mm-hmm. I need something, I'll ask you a question. And every once in a while, he'd just follow me and see me connecting with people I know. Yeah. You'd see him moving around. He'd mm-hmm. keep telling me, just don't look at me. Do mm-hmm. your thing. Do your thing. Mm-hmm. By the end of that day, I was like, it's it's not me. I, mm-hmm. I just show up. Mm-hmm. These guys are doing all the work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I fell in love with it. As uncomfortable as I was with it, I fell yeah. in love with yeah. it. And yeah. I said, all right, what's the price? Here's an envelope. Yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm yeah. in. Yeah. You were in. And, and we agreed to, to a 10 episode deal, mm-hmm. um, which led to- uh, Anthony De La Reyes, uh, otherwise known as Train, yep. doing the first couple episodes. Another with super me. talented guy. And then, and then Train got pulled in to go work with a client that you guys had been with a little more often, yep. uh, uh, Sell Watts in yep. the city. Um, and Corey fell into my lap. Yep. And the first, the first week was very quiet. Mm. We did our thing. Tell me that, and yeah. I kind of ran the show. 
Mm-hmm. And week two, Corey opened up and mm-hmm. felt a little bit more comfortable. And by mm-hmm. week three with Corey, he was telling me about his love of real estate and what he does and what drives him. And as mm-hmm. someone who, who studies psychological profiling, uh, I was like, son of a bitch, this is exactly what I need, but mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to hire him for another six months. Mm. And I looked at my numbers and I said, all right, right hire at the wrong time. Can't let the opportunity go away. Yep. And what it's I loved, always my business philosophy. Yeah, and what I loved about it was <laughs> it everything, right. everything Corey wanted mm-hmm. was exactly what I was willing to offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, fine, we'll, we'll make it work. So I won't have a receptionist or a personal assistant for a while. I'll mm-hmm. have to do that job myself. A couple mm-hmm. of VAs later, we're surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, but that led to all of this. And what I love you know, and I, I hate that I'm taking up all the mic because you're going to get plenty of time in a second. But what I love is all these ideas that, that you saying we need to do a podcast, him coming on board saying, mm-hmm. oh, it's only going to cost, and again, it's not pennies, but it's only going to cost 1500 bucks to get all the equipment. I'm like, mm-hmm. here's the credit card. Just get it. Mm-hmm. You know, you want me to drive into the city and pick it up while you work? I was like that excited for mm-hmm. it. Um, jumping when the opportunity presents itself. What's going to really mess you up is that I mentioned to Corey and Jason, all these guys at some point early on that I saw DTM as just this transition for everybody. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're all going to end up somewhere else doing something because of this. And I have no idea where it is. And that was that, that it was one of the hardest conversations I had to have at the time mm-hmm. uh, was the day that I came to you and said, okay, we're just about done. Mm-hmm. Corey would love to work for me. Yeah, but it was easy. And you just looked at me like, I was so happy. This was perfect. I was so happy. And, yeah. and I should have known better, yeah. but again, like I, cause I had told you when we first started, my goal yeah. was to do five episodes, hire somebody. Mm-hmm. They'll tag along with your guy. They'll train him up. And then boom, yeah. week 11, I'm just going wishful yeah. thinking, yeah. you know, that, that shit. Never and happens. I told you that's what you should do. Yeah. Like I, I was like in house is the only way you're actually going to do it. Brutally honest with it up yeah. front. Uh, yeah. the, the fact that his paycheck switched from your company to mine is, is, is yeah. a moot point at this point yeah. because it kind of became a win-win for everybody. But if anyone wants to do this, like don't hire an agency. No. Like just like- Just do it. it just do it. Just do it. Yeah. And uh, afford whatever you can afford. And then the best is like, like we mentioned before we started talking like on, on the air, if you have one source of revenue, that's your company, mm-hmm. and then you can do this on the side and you don't have to monetize it. Right that's really the best way to go. Yep. Like, that's why I like, that's why Gary wins. That's why all these guys, not all these guys, but the top guys win. Cause they're not trying to monetize. Yeah. They're just investing. And that's, personally. The, that's the way we look at it. You know, I've, I've always bought into the mindset of you're a media company first. Yeah. We just, our revenue comes from real estate transactions. Exactly. That's it. It's black and white. Exactly. Um, now all the stuff we do is a different story, but now I look at it and say, so many people are coming to me and I'm sure they're coming to you and I say, can mm-hmm. you do this for us? Can you yep. do that for us? Yeah. I can't tell you how many hours worth of free work I've asked Corey to do mm-hmm. free to us on, on yeah. my time. Yeah, yeah. He's out there doing work for other people and yeah. I'm not charging him a penny for it. Yep. And you now we, we had someone in here today saying, hey, I want to hire you to do this. We mm-hmm. had someone a couple of weeks ago say, I want to hire you to do mm-hmm. this. Okay. Don't even know where to start. Yeah. But to be honest with you, I, in some cases I would almost rather you don't hire us. Just let us do it for you. Right. Because I'm going to taste of it and then the just return on the investment yeah. I'm going to get from doing the right thing for people and yep. helping them take the leap into yep. this world. I, I just think it's the, the opportunities that could come from that are mind blowing. I so. agree. Then the question is why don't people act like that? D-Rock, we talked about it before about fear, yeah. you know, D-Rock puts up that post all the time about work for free, work uh-huh. for free, work for free. Yep. I look for people to work for free. Yep. And I look for people to work where I said, I'll pay you. 
and I'll buy all the equipment. Yep. They didn't want to do it because yep. it wasn't enough. And mm-hmm. then I ran into no disrespect to wedding photographers and videographers, mm-hmm. but then I ran into a series of them who all thought they were Martin Scorsese. How <laughs> to tell my story <laughs> yeah. about me better than me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like don't listen. To, it's gotta be my voice. And yeah. that's what I love about what you do is I look at the work you do from, you did for me. Mm-hmm. It was always my voice. I look mm-hmm. at the work you did for Ian and for cell mm-hmm. and your own stuff mm-hmm. and, and the work, uh, train does for the other guys in the martial arts world. Yep. It's never in your voice. It's always mm-hmm. in the voice. It's always in the proper version of the voice for right. your client. Well, that's why you have to let the creative be creatives. You cannot micromanage a creative person. You just can't like that's, they don't want to do that. That's why this like opportunity of like this D rock role mm-hmm. is like every, every 14 year old kid right now wants to be that. Yeah. Right. So, and we were talking about, this is still the infancy of this whole world. Very much. But like a decade is going to be like that. Yep. And then there's going to be tens of thousands, hundreds of right. thousands of kids that they, they grew up only knowing this. Either that or it's just going to be a complete culture shift and it's no, it's a thing of the past, which I highly doubt, but always, pre- always prepare well, for the worst case scenario. If there's a technology shift faster right. than we expect. Right. And like, you know, I think Gary's talked about, it'll just be like a pokeball that goes up in the air yeah. and just does Corey's job. <laughs> oh, there's, already, there's already drones out there. You could throw up in the air and it'll follow you around all yeah. day. You know, you just put the little thing on yeah. your neck or your shoulder and yeah, it'll yeah, follow yeah. you everywhere. Yeah. But, um, but the drone can't storytell yet. Right. Exactly. And the post-production exactly. is the most important yeah. thing. And there's, I think there's always going to be a human part of it because yeah. you have to, you know, like, like when the AI is strong enough, Sure. It'll be, it'll be voided, but yeah. I, I, I love the talent of the guys who were telling yeah. my story, your story, yeah. everyone else's. And, and I, you know, it's weird to we literally sit at desks next to each other and yeah. I, I watch him and I'm, tr- I'm focused on doing my work, but every once in a while you have that, that break where you take the hiccup and you kind of mm-hmm. peek over and it's really fascinating to watch what happens in that little box right in front of them. Mm-hmm. Cause you could almost see the smoke coming out of their ears. Mm-hmm. And yeah. every once in a while you'll yeah. get this random chuckle or, yeah. or amusement. And yeah. I, I want to say, what the hell are you laughing at? Yeah. But the camera's not rolling. And those are the moments I want to capture. It's like, we've had it. We had one in the car. And I tell him like, you got to get the authentic me. I, you yeah. know, listen, I fall down the rabbit hole. I'm a jackass. Yeah. I lose my train of thought. Yeah, I yeah, like yeah. to be stupid. Yeah. One day he had the camera rolling in the car. <laughs> Sure enough. And I'll never forget it. He sent me the clip and I'm like, we're producing content. Out of that. <laughs> yeah, and I told him, make a stop sign. Here's my yeah, cap. Just do yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. we banged it out. And it was hysterical because yeah, you yeah. got, you got to be authentic to who you are. Exactly. Um, and everyone's trying to be like so perfect and put together yeah. and it's never going to win. It's never going to win. No, I, I'm, I, I try to throw caution to the wind and just do, do stuff. Mm-hmm. I will never put another person in position to be embarrassed. So we'll sure. always edit that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But me being me is, is yeah. perfectly fine with me because at the end of the day, if 10 people watch it, if 10 million people watch it, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not keeping score, you know? Exactly. And, and I like that mindset. Cause I had the conversation with my mom a couple of weeks ago. She's why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And I said, because it'll be nice in 20 years to see it when my youngest one is mm-hmm. 30 and mm-hmm. can look back and say, that was nuts. Yep. He was that knucklehead was batshit crazy. Yep. And hopefully I love him more as a result. Yeah. Cause I know my 25 year old is like as shy as she can be. Yeah. You know, she's enjoying watching it and she, she's one of the first ones to comment all the time. Yeah. And, and that's I cool. love, I love that. That's cool. Because they, they get it. Um, I already look back at the first episodes. Yeah. It's super cool. Super yeah. fun. You know, well, that's why I like when he, when he goes back and he takes clips from the old stuff oh, and the mixes best. it in with the new, because the it, best. It, it reminds me, stay, stay true to who you are, mm-hmm. do your thing. And, and just let it fly. I put something up, I think yesterday on my Instagram story, I was at like the third vlog that we did. And I think the copy I put was like, part of the reason I started was to remind myself of things. 
Yeah. Like, and like literally there was a, there was a thing that I said to like, you got to go hard. You can't. And I'm like, ah, shit, I'm not going as hard as I could. Like it was a reminder to myself. You know <laughs> in, what I mean? In my, in my head right now, what I want to do when September rolls around, cause I've got vacation, he's got vacation. We've got projects going on, mm-hmm. but I literally want to take two days mm-hmm. and say on day one, you're going to come work with me from one in the afternoon until 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, or on day That'll be day two. And on day one, you'll work with me from the minute I wake up in the morning until yeah. one in the afternoon. So yeah. we'll take two days and yeah, do yeah. a day in a life to get everything and record it just for me. Yeah. So I could look at it and say, yep. lazy, 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 <laughs> yeah. lazy, wasted time, wasted yeah. time. Should have said no to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 So I could use that as kind of my whiteboard in front of me with my checklist mm-hmm. to say, you can do all of these things, mm-hmm. but look at all the time that you it's like a football them. coach watching film. Exactly. It's exactly, it's exactly what it is. What it is. Yeah. And, and I, I get the reference because that's, that's the way that my mind thinks. I'm a yeah. huge fan of Vince Lombardi and almost every book ever written about the guy I've read. Yeah. Most of them just regurgitating the same thing, but you always find that one. Are you a fight thing. fan? No, not really. No. You know, I, I like you didn't grow up boxing. Them. No, no, nothing. No, I, I listen as a kid, I was as wide as I was tall. Okay. I, I was kind of like, uh, I, I looked like something out of South Park is the way I was built. Okay. Uh, and I got my ass kicked for a while for a couple of years. Really? Yeah. I, I got bullied. Yeah. I got yeah. bullied a lot in school and, yeah. and dealt with it. And then I had that growth spurt between seventh and eighth grade. And most of the people, and I, you know, I was in Queens for four years. And then I did my last four years in, in Catholic school mm-hmm. through eighth grade out here on the island. Mm-hmm. And that last year, I'll, I never forget, there was four guys first day in fifth grade. And all year, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. And I mm-hmm. came first day, eighth grade. Nobody saw me all summer. Like, oh, I walked in shit. looking down at all of them. I'm like, all right, <laughs> son of a bitch, who's up first? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and a couple of them ended up becoming some of my best friends for a, quite a long time until everybody Isn't scattered around that the happens? country. Yeah. That's when kids used to fight and it was okay. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It was, it, you'd get your ass kicked and the teacher would say, why did you bleed on the floor kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I went yeah. to Catholic school. I got smacked yeah. around. I got smacked around as much by some of the teachers as I did with some of the other kids. But, you know. Listen, I'm a better person for it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in a world where especially my oldest one, like my kids know that I have no tolerance for bullying because of what I mm-hmm. went through as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm not looking for anybody to say, woe is me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially my oldest one, uh, he became the defender of the bullied. Mm-hmm. And when he moved to a new school, he was in middle school. After I, I got that. divorced, he moved in with me. He was a new kid and everyone picked, you know, moves to this town where everybody's a jock. And he, mm-hmm. was, a, he was a big boy and, mm-hmm. and, a, and a pretty solid football player. Uh, and they tried smacking him around the first day. He quickly turned that around and they started to have a little bit of, I don't want to say fear, but respect, but mm-hmm. I really think it was fear. Yeah. Um, and by midway through that school year, he had made friends with a couple of the guys on the team. One mm-hmm. kid in particular who was even taller than my son was. Uh, and I'll never forget the story. Blue haired kid, second day in school, sitting in a cafeteria by himself and a couple mm-hmm. of jackasses are picking on him. And Junior and his friend walk over and the, the friends think that they're, they're going to join in. Mm-hmm. And the two good guys turned around and says, if you say another word or touch him again, we're going to kick your ass, mm-hmm. which proceeded to happen at the end of that day. But <laughs> yeah. the blue haired kid, they weren't friends, but the blue haired yeah. kid respected him. And my son was good with it. And I, I was very proud of him for that. Yeah. I grew up the same way. Cause I did martial arts forever yeah. from the time I was nine to, you know, forever. And, uh, there was, it was interesting dynamic because, so did you ever do martial arts as a kid? No, my younger brother did, did but I, I watched him, but I never did it. So it's a very weird dynamic in like martial arts schools, especially like, late nineties and you know, mm-hmm. like, cause it was, the, it was still very old school. Like everyone's still like karate kid dad is very traditional. Like all martial arts schools are very traditional. It was, it was before MMA. Tiger Shulman and MMA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but before like 
everybody was going to be in the UFC, right? right? It was just like, you had a teacher, you all had uniforms, you all, you know, like that's what I grew up doing. Structure. Very structured, very old school, very like we're living in China, right? And uh, so when you're 13, 14, 15, and you've been there since you were nine, you're kind of like the more experienced person, but you're still a kid, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, you know, so like there's this respect of like, I know all the stuff, but like I'm still a kid. Right. But I would work with the little kids. And then there was a kid who was only like a year or so younger than me that I'm teaching. Like he's my student. I'm 16. He's 15 or whatever. But like there's a big gap of like, you know, whatever. And uh, we're in high school together. And so in high school, it's like, oh, we're the same, you know, whatever. But outside it wasn't. Anyway, he would get into fights all the time. He was just a very, very insecure kid. And like he would pick the fights. Like he would like start the fights. And I used to be like, dude, you can't start fights. But I had such good relations with like the teachers that the teachers, uh, I remember the one math teacher was super cool. He'd be like, hey, Ed, uh, isn't that kid go to your martial arts school? Like I was very low key about it and talk about it. He just knew like we'd shared. He goes, listen, I'm not supposed to say this, but I hear the other kids are going to jump him like behind the build, you know, like they would like give me the heads up. You got a karate kid moment happening. Seriously. Like, like, like real world. Yeah. Crazy. And unfortunately I got there about, I don't know, 30 seconds or 60 seconds too late. And he was already just like beat bad, Mm -hmm. really, really, really bad. But I remember like the moment of like, oh wow, like this actually can be real. Like this really can be violent. Like it just, cause it was very fake to me. Like it was very like, Violence only happened in controlled situations. Okay. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. When and you're in the dojo, it's- It's, it's so controlled. It's it, love. It's like, I mean, you're getting hit, you're yeah. getting dropped, but like it was never in a malicious way. It was such a brotherly well, there, there's, thing. There's such a tremendous amount of respect that comes so from that much. world from it, from the white belt to the black belt. The fact that you're even in the same room, yeah. there's a respect from the top down and the bottom up. Yeah. And I, that, that part I've always understood. And the diversity was so interesting. Like yeah. I would never have met people. Like one of my trainer brothers was like in the Israeli army and like, yeah, like, really? like, and like radically older, but just so funny, you know, they come together. Yeah. But that moment of like, you talk about like kids is really fighting in school. I was like, Oh, like violence can be really bad. Yeah. I mean like his bloody face. Like yeah. I remember like just get taking him home and driving him and cleaning him up and taking him back to his house and just being like, my, my mind was blown yeah. that this actually happens because for whatever reason, I've had confidence, whatever, like no one ever messed with me. Okay. They never, ever, no one ever even tried. And I don't know why it was. I, I attributed partly because one, my parents are just great and they just gave me a lot of confidence. But also when you're like 14 and you like work out and spar with like grown men, you know what I mean? Like you would just have this like, Something about you, yeah. but like no one even would know I did martial arts. You were put in a position where maturity was, was never the exception. It. it was the norm. It was the norm. Yeah. And, 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 and lots of responsibility early on. I'm big on, yeah. I think giving kids a lot of responsibility, it worked for me. Yeah. I don't know if it works for everybody, but it worked for me. And like, that's what I'm just, I'm big on that. Like if you can find those type of traditional type places, because yeah. my biggest problem with modern day MMA places is that the, the kid that gets bullied seeks out something to empower himself. But then very early on, they learn how to really hurt people. You know what I mean? They, like you learn how to and choke don't, people out they, early. They don't respect the power that they've, that yeah. they've established. Cause there's no process. There's no like, like my teacher was very, um, he, he would only push and like give you more when he really saw that like intellectual maturity side of it. But your, your teachers, your martial arts teachers yeah. were, come from an old school training yeah. system where you not only learn yeah. the technique that you're doing, but yeah. you learn the philosophy behind it. 
and they never ran it as a business. They never, it was, it was right. always their side thing that they did because they loved it. Yeah. They dedicated so much time, but because it was never, it was, it was mainstream. It was a physical thing for a fitness standpoint for yeah. a lot of the people who joined. Yeah. And those who tend to stay from what I remember seeing from the outside looking in, yeah. it became a respect issue. Yeah. And you respected your teacher, whether your teacher was 20 years older or younger than you didn't yeah. matter because yeah. they had been through something that, and you had to honor that. And I think that's yeah. the word when you, when you talk about yeah. a lot of the culture over there is honor is one of the most important words. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of that's missing from our society. And that's not a millennial comment. That's a societal comment. No, it's, society. Americans, yeah. it's, a, it's not age. It's yeah. just what, what it is. Yeah, I, yeah. I think there's, there's a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. of things like honor and service and stuff like that. Yeah. Too. Cause it's easy to get caught up in the, in the speed of everything. Yeah. And like the transparency of the world now, I think is going to be a great thing later, but it's going to keep exposing all the worst parts of our society. Yeah. Cause it's exposing us. Like, oh, without a doubt. You know, I think you're big I, on that. It's funny. I, I heard somebody on the radio today. They, they were, I, I got in the car and ESPN was on and they and the question was, you know, did the money expose him for what it was or did he make him the jerk that he's become? And I, I left, but yeah. that's exactly it. it I, I come from that same world and we've heard it. And, you know, if Gary, Gary and I have a lot in common in our mindset. He's just mm-hmm. a younger version who's mm-hmm. absolutely plowed ahead. And I've come from that, but where our mindset comes from is, is very, very similar. And yeah. we've got a lot of things in common that we've yeah. talked about. Yeah. Um, and, and he's amazed by it where I'll tell a story to him and he'll tell a story to me. And I'm like, change the parental yeah. names and it's yeah. the same exact story, same story kind, yeah. of, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not that, not that I was, not that I was cutting people's flowers. That's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> I love that. Cut the neighbor's flowers and try to sell it back to the what, same. What's one. your first entrepreneurial memory? Um, I did the baseball card thing as a kid. Yeah. Uh, How old? Uh, probably it was before Middle we moved. School? It was probably, no, it was before we moved. I was probably in fourth grade. Nice. Uh, where we were flipping cards, you know, I used to flip baseball cards. Uh-huh. I figured out a racket, how to set up my cards to get, get take advantage of other people's stuff. Yeah. Uh, so this is what I want to know. I want to know the worst yeah. things. Oh you've yeah. Done. I, I, I basically, <laughs> I basically have stolen from people because they were foolish <laughs> enough to not pay attention. I'm not afraid to admit that. Yeah. Uh, we moved, we moved out to the Island. Um, you know, I had a paper route. I got a job in a dry cleaner. And when you came um, out to the Island, were you like, oh, these Long was, Island kids are dumb. I, I was, t- I, I grew up in Floral Park on the Queen side. Right. We were like 14 blocks from the Nassau Queens border. But my, right. my family under my roof, my parents, me and my brother, we were the first ones to really go to Long Island. Everyone right. else was in Brooklyn. Uh, and then they started moving out to. to but the, to but the just Island. being on that border, like those kids are more savvy. They're more street smart. They're quicker. I, I, more noticed, naturally I noticed the difference in what, what I noticed. I'll never forget the first day of school. Everybody looked at me and said, who's the kid from Brooklyn? Because this is the mm. way I've always talked. Right. right like right. my whole family's from Brooklyn, but right. I, I live right there. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, 15 minutes on the bus. Uh-huh. Like what's the bus, you know? Right, right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, buses in Long I, I don't want to <laughs> say that I grew up. I, I grew up in the Queens suburbs. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a city kid. I yeah, still yeah, don't, yeah. you know, I worked in the city. I owned a restaurant in the city. I visit yeah. the city. I still don't like the city. I mean, there's a massive difference between growing up in the city and Queens, but there's a massive difference between Queens and I had Long a, I had a lawn and then we had trees, you know, right. even if that lawn was about the size of this table, right. we still had grass. Somebody right, had right, to right. cut the damn thing. Right, right, you know? right. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely felt different when I moved out here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we moved out to a town where there was a lot of people who their families had grown up there. They mm-hmm. had money and, mm-hmm. you know, we do, uh, 
nobody's going to cry poverty for me. I'd never missed a meal in my life. As I told you earlier, I was the fat kid. Uh, and, and we always had, we always had good things going on. Yeah. We got to go on vacations with the family, even if it was off the back of dad's business trips kind of mm-hmm. stuff, we always leveraged it. So mm-hmm. I never wanted for anything like that. But I did notice that you, you, you always had the hustle though. Like you wanted to work yeah. for yourself and like, yeah, my so my my younger brother, who's uh, you're the oldest. Yeah, I'm, there's there was two of us. He passed a, a little over ten years ago. Oh, but wow. when we were in high school, we were both music fanatics. Okay, uh, you know, and owned records and bought bought records, and uh-huh. you know we we're always hitting mom and dad up, or you know, give me a couple bucks to go up to Corvettes and get a double album because it's on sale, kind of thing. Right. Um, and it got to the point where like you want to do this, go make your own money. And uh-huh. I got a job in a, in a. I got a job in a dry cleaner where, mm-hmm. you know, you'd shake people's pants upside down and a couple of nickels <laughs> would fall out or you'd get a couple of subway tokens at the time <laughs> and I'd sell them back to them for 50 cents when they were a buck kind of thing. Amazing. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, Hey, you left it there. It fell on the floor. I don't know whose pockets. It came yep. out of. So, <laughs> yep. you know, I, I did, I did the baseball card thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was, we started a mobile DJ business before either of us yeah. could drive. Mom was, mom was our chauffeur. I love that. You know, so she, much. she was like the third person on the roadie crew. Yeah. You know? I love that. Um, so we'd go to our friends and DJ their sweet 16 parties for a hundred bucks and then mm-hmm. 150 bucks and then mm-hmm. 50 bucks an hour. And then mm-hmm. the school hired you to do the prom yep. and, the, and the spring fling. Yep. Um, awesome. and, and then I got, you know, I was, I was working in bars at 17. Mm-hmm. Um, my first nightclub job, I was 17 years old. I was working in a gay club down on the South shore of Long Island. Really? <laughs> yeah. And here, <laughs> here I am. You know, I, I, I'm a football player, yep. I've got a girlfriend, 17. the whole nine yards. Yep. Mom drove me to work the first night. <laughs> After that, I took the car, but I'll never, I'll never forget it. And listen, it what did mom say? It, it's a job. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's you go in your DJ booth and you stay there. Yep. This, this yep. is back in the 80s. So it's yeah. a very different time. Sure. Um, but what I loved about it is it opened my mind to a world that didn't exist to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know anything about that culture. And I, mm-hmm. there were some great people there. There were some sure. really bad people as well. But mm-hmm. it's where I've learned to have the liberal respect that I have for societal issues. Um, you know, the, the, is, and most of the crowd there could not mm-hmm. have been nicer. They mm-hmm. knew, listen, they knew I was the straight guy, but I was a great DJ who knew the music that they loved. Mm-hmm. They respected me. I respected them. We had, Give me the top three songs you were playing at 17. Oh God. Let's see if Corey knows any. There? <laughs> uh, believe it or not, even back then I was playing a lot of old school disco stuff. Okay. Um, even then. Yeah. Uh, Take Me Home by Cher was probably the most abused song I played <laughs> in the gay club. I'm uh, so glad you said Cher. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, most people probably. Do you know who Cher is, Corey? No. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, uh, Divine. Uh-huh. Was another, was another big one. Yep. Divine was, uh, you know, cross-dressing. Uh-huh. Vocalist yeah. with an incredible voice. Uh, Sylvester, do you want to funk? Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, yeah. I don't know that song. Oh, so and then, you know, we'd, we'd occasionally squeeze in a little bit of Sugar Hill Gang just to break the flow because the one yeah. thing, the one thing nightclub owners loved about me as a DJ was I wasn't the greatest mixer of music, but mm-hmm. I read a crowd. I was just going to say, and what consumer I, centric. When I mean read a crowd, I was watch the bar. Mm-hmm. If the bar was full and they were three deep, yep. play something to get some of them on the dance floor. Yep. So the guys who are three deep can get to the front. Yep. If the dance floor is full and there's nobody at the bar, the owner's going to be pissed at you. Yep. They need to make money. Yep. So I really learned how to, <coughs> how to cycle, cycle the crowd yep. in and out. Yep. That um, makes sense. 
So you've always been consumer centric. That's what makes yeah. you a good entrepreneur. Yeah, I, th- I think That's so. That's what makes every good entrepreneur. You got to be obsessed <laughs> with the patterns and the, yeah. you know, Gary talks about that. Like you would like watch traffic as a six year old kid to see where their eyes were to put the signs in the right pole. And like I did the same thing yeah. when I was early into marketing fitness. Like I'd be literally be hammering just before yep. we're doing Facebook marketing, like hammering into, and I'm like, I would look at the traffic and I'd be like, they can't see it. I'd turn the sign. Like I'd spend time doing that. Mm-hmm. And like, I, it's either you like that or you don't like that. Uh, one of my, you can develop one it, of my proudest parental moments. Um, my son was in, my oldest was in middle school towards the end of middle school. Yeah. And he, he found on the other side of the train tracks from us was a, a candy factory warehouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he would sell these huge bags of candy mm-hmm. for, you know, restaurant prices. Mm-hmm. Dirt cheap. I didn't know anything about it. Him and his friend got on a bike. They rode up there, mm-hmm. 20 bucks, bought candy, went back three days later, 60 bucks, bought candy. And they were selling candy in school until one of the rat parents read, oh, you know, they, you're not supposed to be selling stuff in school. Shut up. I you know? know, seriously. Let kids be kids. So my youngest one, who's now 10, we're in, we're in here in, in Wanta for, uh, it'll be three years in August. Last year, she's into slime. Mm-hmm. So, okay, what do you need? Mom's buying shaving cream and Elmer's glue and glitter it. and all this other stuff. I love it. Oh, my daughter and her friend. And she tells me, go to the, go to Restaurant Depot and get me mm-hmm. a bunch of those little plastic cups that they put the ketchup in for takeout. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the yep. little two ounce yep. cups. Like, what for? Don't ask. Just get them. Right. <laughs> I come home and she's got like stacks of them. Mm-hmm. She comes home from school and she says, we opened a slime store. I'm she's hustling so, slime in school. So excited about this. Never told her to do it, but yep. she... Oh, one of the, one of the parents says, you know, they're not supposed to be doing this. And Shut you know, up. <laughs> this is where the snowflake comment comes from me. I wanted to smack the parents. The yeah. School didn't say anything. Um, but before but that, live. yeah, she, you know, she ran, went to Dave and Buster, saved up all her tickets mm-hmm. over months ago and mm-hmm. got a snow cone machine. Mm-hmm. We live in Garden City a couple, a couple of years ago. She mm-hmm. takes the 150 foot extension cord. Mm-hmm. Sets up a folding table and her snow cone stand on the corner because everyone else is selling iced tea and lemonade. Oh, it made so 200 happy. bucks in a day. That makes me so happy. <laughs> it's like, that's my kid. I love it. I you love know. it. So, and getting the positive reinforcement that being that type of spirit, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the reinforcement, I think, is yeah. important. I, so, you I, got I, it from your mom, you're giving it to her. You know, my dad was a corporate guy his whole life, mm-hmm. hustled. His, his dad was a watchmaker, came, you know, mm-hmm. from off the boat, um, you know, grew up in a tiny little dump apartment, tenement house in, in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and dad made it big, you know, mm-hmm. dad worked his ass off for 40 something years and ended up becoming, become, you know, getting every one of those corporate initials that everybody dreams again, ran some of the biggest companies around. Um, cool. and I was blessed to be part of that. Yeah. Uh, but from the other side, but you knew you didn't want to go that route. No, I didn't. I, I worked nine years at MasterCard. Okay. Uh, not to throw the name out there, uh-huh. but I, you know, I did it out of necessity. So gotcha. when, you know, I was, I was a dad like at 20, right out of school, I was a dad at 21, married right. at 22. Right. Uh, I dropped out of college a bunch of times. I went, went to audio recording school cause I wanted to be an engineer really? working, huh. working work in the music industry. Yeah. Now, now look at you. Yeah. Podcast I, studio. Yeah. I DJed for almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, nightclubs. I, I worked in recording studios from Connecticut to Jersey to out here as an engineer to pick up bucks, but there was no money in it. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I got an offer to go out West and run a studio would have taken three years. Thank God I didn't take the job. They were paying minimum wage. Mm. I would have had to move to the West coast, which I wasn't willing to do. And an mm-hmm. earthquake ended up taking the entire building down. So that was, that was a good wow. sign. Um, good call. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've, I've always 
you know, I've had three jobs at a time when my kid was, when my youngest was born, I worked, mm-hmm. I worked in a data center for MasterCard. I worked for a moving company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assistant managed a record store, which helped with the DJ business, which we also did when the opportunities presented itself. Mm-hmm. I had no, I've never had a fear of work. You know, yeah. I, I love it. And, yeah. um, you know, downtime gets boring. I love what I do. Um, I know. you know, I, I vacations are tough for me because it takes a long time for Two me days. to unwind. And then I, yeah. and then you know, I like being vacation dad because my kids like it. He mm. drinks a little too much, but not mm. too much. And everybody <laughs> yeah. has a good time. Yeah, and I make yeah. a fool of myself yeah, yeah. and they all take part in it. But a couple of days in, I start to get that itch. Like something in my I life know. is missing. And I, that's one of the few things in life that makes me feel bad for my family that mm. I'm neglecting them. But but they get it and respect it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but if you're one, not good and happy, you can't provide yeah, it. I, yeah, I agree. But, you know, being able to provide is one of the things that drives me as well. I want to mm-hmm. give, I want to be able to give them the lives that, that mm-hmm. I want them to be able to earn for themselves and have the security mm-hmm. from me. So I always tell my kids, you, you want to be a social worker or a sanitation worker and make 30 grand a year, mm-hmm. go be the best one out there possible. Mm-hmm. I'll go make enough money to give you the life that, that I feel you deserve if you're right. not able to get it on your own. Right, right. But just go make a difference, you know. Right. Be a, be a productive member of society. Right. Um. And I think that's where the difference between me and a lot of other parents comes from is I don't want my kids to go to college because that's what they're supposed to do. Right. I dropped out of college five, six times. Mm-hmm. I still have no credits. Right. My <laughs> daughter went to a four year private school. She's mm-hmm. working for me, managed, managing advertising for our social media stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not a knock, but what she went to school for, which cost a lot of money. We're fortunate yep. we were able to do it. Yeah. It's not what, you know, my, my next guy who's 24 Got steamrolled at college. Same thing. Didn't want to go. He fortunately never went back. Mm-hmm. Found his passion. Automotive. Mm-hmm. Found a tech school. Went. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be more proud of what he's doing. You know, he's yeah. living out in Denver and yeah. and he's a tech out there and enjoying life at 24 and learning every day. So, so my parents just didn't know better, right? So they pushed it on me and I lasted less than a year. Went to Adelphi. Okay. But like. Right around the corner from me. Right around the corner. Yeah. I love Garden City. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like. Before I even got there, the only thing on my mind was what on-campus business could I start? Mm -hmm. It's literally all it was. And like we had Infinity Delivery Service. I'll tell you a story when you're done. Yeah. Infinity Delivery because I drove an Infinity because I I bought a a cheap old Infinity with all my summer savings, right? At 17. And uh, it clicked one time. Remember the show Taxi? Yeah. Okay. Of course. Well, like, like, okay. So there's an early episode where- Dude, I'm 50. I got, yeah, I, got I, so I was making sure. How, how the hell do you know what it is? Because <laughs> I grew up on Nick, like Nick at Night syndication. Yeah. Like I don't watch anything. No, I watched, it, I watched it on network TV. You're watching yeah, it in syndication. I was watching syndication. Yeah. I, I grew up in syndication <laughs> with my good friend Joe used yeah. to say. So uh, this episode of Taxi where Danny DeVito's character, right? Uh, Louie, right? Louis. Uh, it's like a flashback to when he first starts as a dispatcher. And someone's like, hey, Louie, I, I really need that cab number, whatever. And he goes, yeah, whatever. And he goes, Louie, I give you five bucks for a good cab. And there's this like, tring, this is like moment where he's yeah. like, oh, I could, I could take advantage of all the people that work here. Yeah. I had that moment because I'm the only freshman on campus with a car. The only one, like in my entire building. The fact that you were even allowed one was kind of surprising. It was weird. I, yeah. Maybe I never even registered. I don't know. I didn't That's go probably by, more likely. More likely, right? And so- Hey, let's go get food. Can you drive me here? I'm like, okay, sure. Cause you want to make friends. And I'm just, and then one day I'm just fed up and I'm like, guys, I can't go. They're like, come on, we'll give you, we'll give you five bucks to go, go to McDonald's. And I was like, Oh, I was like, here's my business. Dean from 10 PM to 1 AM every night. It was nonstop. Yeah. And this is, so this is 2004 or 2003 and four. 
So this is when the Sidekick phones came out. Yeah, Sidekick. Sure. And you could have AIM on your phone. Yep. It was like a big thing. Yep. You could instant message on your phone. I like to take credit. I'm the first food delivery company, company, it's one person, that you could order online because you could literally AIM could message infinity delivery to AIM dorm room number blah, blah, blah McDonald's, oh, my order. Great. And I would get it and I'd go, got it. And I would go pick it up and for three hours every night. But it was crazy because my phone would be on the, the table and be like 9.58 PM. And I'd be like, Hey guys, watch this. And I would go 9.59, 10 o'clock. Bring, 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 bring. It was just nonstop because <laughs> I delivered McDonald's. You had a better, you had a better racket than me when I, when I went up. So I graduated high school in 87. I didn't really want to go to college. Uh, but my options were pretty much military college and get the hell out. Right. Um, <laughs> I actually toyed with going into the Marine Corps, but I had knee surgery the year before. And when I saw one of the doctors mm. at the recruiting office, they were like, the hell yeah, out of yeah, here. Yeah. Um, I wanted to take that gap year to figure out what I wanted to do. And I had been doing the DJ thing for two years, mm -hmm. making decent money doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but didn't pan out. I ended up getting accepted last minute to Ithaca College. And I get, I go up to a dorm building and I share a lounge with, three other guys. Mm -hmm. So it's not even a room. It's one of yeah, the student. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to try out for the football team. Couldn't make that. Uh, went down to town square, got drunk 17 because <laughs> I was before my 18th birthday, which was the week after. Right. Um, and I, I just harassed the shit out of the DJ and mm -hmm. the owner was there and he says, you think you could do better? Go ahead. And the DJ was like, it's my booth. What are you talking about? Half wow. of the bag I went in and spun like six songs in a row. And he's mm -hmm. like, you want a job? Let me know. Wow. That was, that was the moment I knew I should have withdrawn from school before the first day. Yeah. Because that's what happened. Yeah. So I ended up getting a job. I work in a couple different nightclubs that he owns. I end up doing mobile DJ parties, driving their car okay. uh, up and down in Ithaca. Now, if you know anything about Ithaca, Cornell and Ithaca lead down to the same town square. The whole thing is up in Hills. Okay. I don't know how to drive a stick shift that well. <laughs> yeah. And I'm parking. So I'm using other cars to, to stop me from sliding down the hill. I'm Amazing. parking the wrong way on some hills because I needed to get the back door open to get the equipment out of the car. Amazing. All crazy stuff. So I'm DJing two, three, four days a week. I love to cook even back then. And I did my own laundry, even though I wouldn't do it at home at school. I would do yeah. it. I was doing people's laundry. I was ironing. Mm -hmm. I found an old hot plate. I was cooking meals for the RAs that nobody else knew about because mm -hmm. they weren't allowed to have one as long as you don't tell. Mm -hmm. Anything I could do to make a couple bucks and keep yeah. me busy and keep me out of the classroom yeah. is what I did. I, I, right. I just hated it because at that time, especially as a freshman in college, you're brought there to memorize certain things and learn certain things yeah. in that order. And I've never been a classroom student. You know, yeah. I graduated with, you know, probably 78, 79, 80 average getting out of high school. Um, that was probably tainted a little bit because some of the teachers liked me because I wasn't a bad kid. Uh, I used to throw, mom and dad would go out of town. I would throw parties. Hmm. I had a couple of friends who were 21. They'd go buy four kegs of beer. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't sell beer because that was illegal. But I, what I would do is sell red cups. Yep. And I had the guys who bought the beer <laughs> would hang out and their job was just walk around and break cups. And if yeah. anybody was drinking out anything other than one of our red cups, they were yeah. getting thrown out. Yeah. You know, so that was, that was always my I think just something in you. Like some people just have that trait and then you can go one or two ways. Like, I mean, you could go the wrong, wrong oh, yeah. way or you can find the right way. Yeah. I, I attribute like, I should be a really bad dude, like in jail. I should be like, that was the path I was kind of born to go, but because of, great parents and martial arts. It kept me so like but, but my conscience that, was but so that, that fork heavy. in the road came earlier in your life than it came probably early. would have had you not had 
either or both of those things, the great parents or, or the, right. the martial arts thing. Well, it was just serendipity. Which you bought into. Yeah. Cause like my, uh, my martial arts teacher is just friends of the family of my mom. And gotcha. like, okay. like they lived across the street. So if they, you step up together, sensei would smack you around. And so would mom, if oh, you stepped that line. Oh, good for you. Multiple times yeah. where, 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 you know, my mom would be like, Hey, listen, you need you to tell him this. And, you know, and yeah. every time and like, and I know it, but I can't say it. Like, cause there's that line you can't cross, <laughs> but like, I, I, I'm so grateful for that because everything in me as a young kid was just like, take advantage and just get yours. There was a real dark selfishness that I didn't know that I had, but like what, what the martial arts guys did so well, cause I was always the youngest. I was, you know, by six, seven, 10 or 20 years. Right. Did you start that by choice or did your parents put you in it? Um, my teacher opened up the school and me and my younger cousin were one of the first kids to just sign up for the trial four, three class that whatever it was two weeks. What are you? Six, seven, eight, nine. Okay. I'm not, I think I just turned nine. I remember it was summertime and, uh, I didn't really like it. Like I went in, I, I remember the, f- the person that worked with me the first day was a really weird person. And I was like, I don't know about this. And then, uh, I was playing soccer and I was really passionate about soccer and I was like making travel team and I'm the captain of the defense. And I'm like, I'm soccer guy. And my mom, you know, as you know, like you didn't do everything when you were a kid. Right. Like now it's different no, nowadays. One thing per it's like one thing. Yeah. Or it's one thing, period. My mom was like, so what do you want to do? Is it soccer or Kung Fu? And it was like something came in and hit me in the back. I'm like, no, no, I love Kung Fu. I want to do it. Like, and I didn't mean it. I lied. I didn't like it. Like I wasn't in love with it. Okay. But it's something just told me to say yes. And then. A couple months later, I was just an addict. I couldn't get enough of it. It was all day, every day. And all these years later, you're still at it. It's so interesting. But like, I remember that moment. I, I can see myself in the house where I was. I just, that, there's like this moment yeah. as if something supernatural was like, you're doing like, this is, yep. if you don't do this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I'm, I don't know how you are. I'm big into like the other stuff and oh, I, uh, guardian I'm, angels. I'm, like, I really think that stuff happens. I'm I've right had too many with, weird experiences. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, yeah. I think there's, there's always a force or something, something. that's creating, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into the whole hippie ish sound and stuff, but there's yeah. an aura that follows people around that says you've got an opportunity to go in, in one of several directions, yeah. depending on what you choose. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. But I'm a big believer in fate and karma and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, you uh, like this definition of karma from the Korean Buddhists? They talk about this: is that karma are the grooves in your consciousness that you create. So an example would be: um, there's some guy, there's some local guy, right, that you always visit. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So Bolte, he runs the little yeah. newspaper stand. But perfect example, right? So my my Chinese teacher always tell me this. He was like if you go into 7-Eleven every day and get a cup of coffee and there's a guy like that and you say hi and you have small talk and you chit chat or whatever, he's a normal, you know, it's one of these random characters in your life. Right. And then you stop going to that 7-Eleven for a couple of weeks and then you go back and they're like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? How are you? I miss you. It's been a long time or whatever. That kind of creates this weird groove in your consciousness where you almost feel like guilty or whatever. And then you may avoid going back to that place again because of this weird groove that you've created in your own okay. mind. And he goes, that's what Buddhists believe karma is. It's the grooves that you're creating. It's not that do good, good comes back. He goes, that's very, that's an American version All of right. it. He's like, but you will change your actions and decisions based on your karma. But it's you creating these, like you're grooving these, these parts of your consciousness. Like it's not this smooth thing anymore where it's just everybody's, you know. It was a, it's, um, there was a book a couple of years, The Power of Habit. Mm-hmm. Read that one. No. Charles Duhigg, I think his name was, mm-hmm. wrote a book that was 
very much a New York Times bestseller version of what yeah. you just said. Yeah. How that the that repetitive repetitive behavior. Yeah. And the breaks in it and how it creates habits. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. because it's ultimately you're responsible for all your karma. You made it. You can overcome it. It's not good or bad. It just is. Just it is this thing. So before you came in here today, I said I said to Corey real quick, what's what's biggest for Ed right now? And he was like the mindset stuff. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, I love that because I love the way that the, the human mind works. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the psychology and understanding how people are and what drives them and to and do what things and what drives them away from things. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about, talk to me about the mindset shifts that you know, well, coming from someone who's been in martial arts for how many years? 25, um, 33 30, now. So okay. Yeah. You bought into it early. Yeah. Talk to me about how you see the mind, the mind mindset of the things happening around you mm-hmm. that haven't spent three quarters of their life in a martial, in a dojo. That's because a good question. It's going to be very different than yours. That's for sure. You have a very unique perspective on everything you touch. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure the main difference. Um, <sighs> I just think self-esteem is everything. So okay. that's why I like good martial arts schools. Cause it builds self-esteem in the person because no one's good right away. Like I was a pretty naturally talented kid. Cause I was like flexible and I was pretty athletic, but like you still had to work hard. you like, you didn't get anything just because you had talent. And I think that type of self-esteem really, it changes how you interact with people. It changes the decisions you make. And I have noticed as I'm older and I, I train less, like way less than I did 10 years ago or five years ago, self-esteem starts to become more obvious. It's like, Hmm, why am I making that fear-based decision? Hmm. Why, why am I, you know, angry at this person in my mind? Why am I driving and having an argument with someone that's not there? Like, why am I doing these things that I normally wouldn't do? Okay. And I think back to habits, the daily habit or the regular habit of like doing something hard, it creates a self-belief, you know, within you that then you navigate the world more clearly. So like, we have the fitness gym. I love it because it gives people what they want and then it gives people what they need. Right. At and the so, same time. Yeah. And people, so women come in because they want to lose fat. They want to feel better. But okay, cool. That's easy. Don't eat donuts. Right. right? Work out a couple of times a week. Move a little faster. Not eat a little better. Not hard. But that's what people want. And one of my favorite quotes is another Buddhist expression is that uh, to tell someone the truth that's not prepared for it is worse than to tell them a lie. So, if someone is not ready for the truth, it can be more damaging than a lie. Right. So I tell this story often. There's a woman that came into the gym, young, late twenties, uh, married, no kids, maybe a hundred pounds overweight, very, very unhappy. And she had, uh, become unhappy because of like personal things and tragedies and losses. But the husband's kind of a jerk and was like, if you don't get in shape, I'm leaving you like screw him. Right? Like, what, okay. what, what a douchebag. Yeah. And so I'm sitting with her and I want to tell her the truth. Like, girl, listen, you don't like, you got to get rid of this guy. He's not the wrong for you. Like, this is bad. Like you got to be all the mindset stuff. I can't, I want to tell her that, right. but I can't cause she's not ready. She's in a very broken emotional state. So I was like, okay, let's get you started. And we're, let's just get started. Cause if she doesn't lose weight in time, it, like this irrational fear that she right. had, but I couldn't tell her the truth. Three months in, she's doing amazing. Four months in confidence is growing. Six months in, she kicks his ass out of the house and divorces him. You know what I mean? Couldn't be happier yeah. now but she wasn't ready for the truth. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, so no, I, no, it, I, I, I get where that that's, that's, 
like you saw me kind of drift off and I'm, I'm yeah. trying to process it. Yeah. And that, that story puts perfect perspective on it. That was, yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. tell that story a lot because like, cause it's a weird quote. It's like a weird thing. It's like, what does that mean? The, yeah, well that, that's the truth true. should always win. I'm like, yes, truth's undefeated. It's always going to play out. You're always going to be right. If you're on the but side there's a time truth. and a place for everything. There's a time and a place. And that's what, um, so my background's in Chinese medicine too. So I've been mm-hmm. doing that for about 10 years, not super intense, but like I've taken a lot of courses and certifications and my teacher there basically defines all things in three levels, right? There is strength, there's control and there's sensitivity. So strength, so the martial arts example, strength is punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, kick, hit the bag, hit the bag, mm-hmm. hit the bag. Control is how do I put that kick right here? How do I move right there? How do I land right there? Sensitivity is what do you throw when? Right. So the best fighters at whatever level have the sensitivity to know when to faint, when to move, when to throw, when for power, when for not power. And that's why I love fighting so much. Like the science of it is amazing. Right. How to move and when to move. Exactly. If you're going to school for math, it's just, you know, formula, formula, formula. It's, it's strength. Yeah. And then it's control. How do I use this formula? Sensitivity is like abstract, you know, big calculus theory. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. That's where the physicists of the world come in. Exactly. Yeah. And then coaching, which is what everybody does in one sense of another, whether you're a parent, whether it doesn't yep. matter, you're a coach, right? Strength is you got to just coach a lot of people, have a lot of conversations, a lot of, read a lot of books, like mm-hmm. get information, control when to use it. And that sensitivity of like, when do I tell them the full story? When do I not? What do they need? What's the word this person needs right now? And like sensitivity and physical coaching is a pretty, in my experience, short learning curve. Five, 10 years of physically coaching people, you get really good at knowing, all right, I'm just going to adjust that one little thing. Their technique's better. But mindset coaching, that's yeah. freaking hard. Because you got to know, you got to have so much context on people and really understand them and listen You've so gotta well. You got to get inside the muscle before you can build the muscle. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the sensitivity of like the mindset thing, like I'm, I'm cautious to put things out there. But like, but it's got to put it out there. Like you have to just throw it and push and push and push Mm -hmm. and then hopefully start the conversation for context. Because I get like a lot of private message off a live video that I do and they're like, hey, I didn't feel comfortable talking about this on on Facebook, you know, but this is the details. And I'm like, cool, give me the details. Because the more details I get, the better the sensitivity thing that I get. And the problem I think is that if you don't have enough self-esteem to bring it all back, you shouldn't be trying to give advice or coaching or this and that. And if you are, you got to be vulnerable because like I've, I get dark sometimes. Mm-hmm. I have bad days, mm-hmm. like bad. Like when we were opening the new gym, there was a couple of weeks where it was just like not getting off the couch yeah. bad because like the whole thing might've imploded. It was crazy times, you know, <laughs> but that self-esteem piece I think is, is the link for success and non-success for taking action, not taking action. There's a good quote I shared of uh, Alex Ramosi. He's a, a business coach of mine. It says action alleviates anxiety. And I'm like, oh, that's so yeah. true. People just, they, they just over and over again. What do I do? What do I do? You don't, have, you don't have time to dwell. I, yeah. Just go for it. Yeah. Cause you, what do you know? Like you don't know what the answer is. Listen, but failure, failure is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, and, and not, not we're to, taught that it is. Yeah. And, and that's what I say, not to sound like the fanboy of Gary, yeah. but the failures. Don't worry. You the, can't be more than me. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I can argue with you on that one. Um, but I, I, do, I talk a lot about him because I, I find so much of what he does to be so positive. But, you know, 
there's a there's a line between accepting failure and accepting your losses. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what what I love about Gary is he talks about how he loves his losses, but he doesn't ever see them as failures. Because I don't think yes. you hear him use the word failure that often. He struggles with what do you fail at? And he's like, ah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's perspective. But, but I th- yeah, and I th- I think if you can accept and engage with the fact that we're, you're not always going to win. Where do, yeah. where do you get the lesson from it? I think that's it. And yeah. that that's why I've always said I, I hate the failures, but I, I really don't, you know, mm-hmm. almost fall bankruptcy twice. I had a business partnership go south and cost me, you know, almost six figures in, inside of a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got but an inside ex- of it. You hated yeah, it when I've, you were in it. I listen, I've yeah. got an ex-wife. I've got one, I, you know, my oldest one, I don't see very often anymore. Mm-hmm. Those, those are, that's hard, but yeah, the ex-wife is the best thing that ever happened to me because I'm married with another kid and I've, right. you know, it's Sunday. It'll be 18 years that we're, that we're together. And, and, That's awesome. uh, and I, I couldn't be happier with, with the state of my family right now. Mm-hmm. Um, could it be better? There's always room for improvement, but mm-hmm. you've, you've got to accept everything in the moment for what it is and make mm-hmm. the best of it. I agree. Um, the losses come from wanting more than you're willing to work for. That's the way I look at it. So it's another interesting idea. I was talking to one of the team members today about um, compassion. Mm-hmm. So in Chinese culture, compassion is a little bit different. So compassion is to see and hear all things as they truly are. Okay. Not how you want them to be, which is what you just said. Right. And there's a cool story about the, the Korean monk teachers, the Buddhist teachers, everybody's sitting there meditating and their backs are supposed to be straight or whatever. And the head monk guy would have these sticks, these wooden sticks. Yep. And if your posture sucked, you'd come by smacking the back of the head and you got to sit up, sit up straight. Right. And he would say things like, this is my compassion. And be like, what? No, you misunderstand this word. So no, no, no. You have to see and hear things as they actually are. You were wrong in your technique, whatever. And so I'm being compassionate because this is going to help you. And I think, and you're a parent, I'm not, but a lot of parenting today lacks that kind of compassion. There's too much sympathy. Not enough compassion. Way, way too much sympathy. And so and sympathy has its place. Like you can't be a sociopath parent, right. but like compassion of like, no, no, you lost. Suck it up. Yeah. You're bad at this. Not a lot of that. And so I think that ties into self-esteem. So like, I mean, I'd love your opinion. Like sometimes you got to be that strict, tough love thing in the micro because in the macro, it's actually going to build self-esteem. I, I, I agree with it. Um, you know, I'm, I've never been a fan of the participation trophy. Hate it. Um, you know, going back to my days and I, I, I coached little league baseball for probably 15, 20 years going back mm. to when my, my cousins kids. were young before my kids were even born. Okay. Um, my, oh, my cousins lost their dad at a young age and I mm. was driving and I became their coach. Mm. Uh, and I stayed with them for years. And then I had two or three years before mine was old enough to play. Mm-hmm. I just got involved in the league and became that coach. And I used to tell everybody all the time, I'm not a babysitter. Right. You know, my job is to teach your kids how to, is to help your kids have fun, mm-hmm. teach them how to learn how to do one thing better by the end of the year than mm-hmm. they, than they did before they started. Progress. And if you get a problem with that, you know, not every kid's going to start every game and I don't want to hear who's better or worse, but at the end, you know, I, I never finished yep. worse than third place as a, as a coach. Yep. And it was because I took these ragtag bunch of kids and yep. some were super talented, yep. but, but didn't know how to use it. And some had no talent, and no desire to be there. Yep. Um, You're preaching, man. And I, I was always the one that said, if your kid doesn't want to be here, don't force them to come. You know, mm-hmm. I look at my youngest now and some of her friends, they're playing three or four sports at a time. I know. You know, they've gotten, they've got How? nine athletic events. Plus How? they're going to school five days yeah. a week. How? Like, Doesn't make any sense. 
but that's the parents doing it for the kids. It's a parent yeah. trying to live vicariously through the kids. And I think that's yeah. a major mistake. And, yeah. you know, I, I tend to be a little bit older than most of the parents of, of my 10 year olds sure. right now. Uh, most of them are in their, their thirties and or forties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just look at that and I went down to field day, uh, mm-hmm. to, to volunteer, to help out. Field day. Miss okay. Field day. Everybody run around and do this. No, no losers There's everything's going to end in oh a tie. My God. And I, I looked at a couple of the parents, I, you know, story I wouldn't do it to the kids, but I looked at a couple of yeah. parents and one of the teachers heard me. I'm like, what is this bullshit with teaching these kids? Every, <laughs> yeah. you know, come by, Hey, you fell on your ass. He smacked you around. You lost. Get yeah. up, brush yourself yeah. off. You want to win? Go work harder. Yeah. Yeah. It pissed a few people up, but I, I reined it in just enough. So I have no idea why, but I've always had that mentality as a child. So like, I remember playing soccer. I'm probably, I got to be seven or eight. Imagine this seven or eight years mm-hmm. old. The mouth on me was just ridiculous as that seven-year-old. And we're playing a soccer game and there's a new coach is one of the other dads. And uh, I think I was like the goalie or whatever. Like I'm just on the shift out of the whatever. And I asked the coach, hey, coach, what's the score? And he goes, oh, I don't know. And I went, you know what the score is? He goes, ah, don't worry about it. It's not, it's not about the score. And I remember as a seven school shit. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, mom, do you hear this clown? I'm, I'm like crazy. She goes, shut up, Eddie. I'm like, I'm like, he's not keeping score, mom. And I remember being so furious at this grown maze, the coach. But there's always been something in me that I'm just like, I don't understand. Like, you play to win. Yeah. Like, like don't, and I was a very sore loser. I was bad, like bad. I mean, I'll tell you a martial arts tournament story. You know, 11 or 12 years old, I, I was pretty good. So I would go and win a lot. And like, you would either like, there's like fighting and then there's like performance things, kind of like gymnastics routines. Okay. Like you do the routine, you yeah, got to score, yeah. right? So I do like weapons routines or whatever. And I remember I go out one time and I, to me, I did terrible. And I'm in the locker room, I'm throwing stuff, and I'm pissed, just, you know, so angry. And then my teacher comes, he goes, what are you doing? He goes, you won. You're supposed to go line up. Like you go to line up and get your medal, whatever. Right. Like I, I won. I won the thing, but I was furious at the little mistake that I made. Disappointed in yourself. Crazy. Cause like winning was like, cool. Never excited. But losing was just like a, just a devastating. And I have no idea where it comes from. Cause like my parents were in pressure. They were, there was no pressure from anybody except me. It was just in me from forever, but it it creates that drive. It creates that hunger. And like, if my parents were that, like, everything's okay, everything's equal, you know, nah, we would have never been the same. Wouldn't have worked. I'm, I'm not a fan of it. You know, I did. I'm a huge football fan. Always have been. So I was a uh-huh. football, baseball, hockey player. I wasn't, you know, I couldn't drop a basketball in a hoop. If you put right. me 11 feet, 11 <laughs> right. feet off the ground and right. let me hold it over it. Right. Soccer. Like I said, I was round. So they put me in gold and right. I was like, Black I'm, not, I'm not taking, I'm not taking a <laughs> soccer ball to the face from four feet away. Are you kidding me? I'm out of here. Yeah, I played soccer for, I think two days uh, before I walked out on that one and playing, playing, you know, I was a catcher playing baseball. I was uh-huh. a center and a nose guard playing football. I was a goalie playing hockey. Who's the idiot? You know, right. I, I get out of bed every day. I got calcium buildups on my hip and right. knees that have been torn apart. Makes you tough. But I, I loved every minute of it. And mm-hmm. I, I used to, I used to love practice. I hated mm-hmm. Saturdays. Interesting. Cause the game was only an hour long. You, you know, you get 30, 40 plays and you're done. Mm-hmm. But in practice you get 30, 40 plays and then you go, st- you know, and then you're done warming up. Right. And I used to, I used to love it. And listen, I was, I was no all pro. Right. Uh, I would have loved to have played D three college ball, but uh, I'm five, nine. And at my, at my self-awareness my, <laughs> at my healthy heaviest, I yeah. was about two ten. Really? Yeah. Wow. You know, when I was in shape yeah. and I, you know, I was, I was in pretty good shape, right. but I was, 
five nine, and if I wore the sneakers, I'd be five nine and three quarters kind of thing. Right. There's not room for a pulling guard, and I was not big enough to be an outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. So you know, you dealt with what you had to do. Uh, but I, I. But those are good lessons. Practice was the best to me. Mm -hmm. You just get out there and just churn over and over and over. It's a process. Yeah. Because I expected to win every Saturday. Mm. You know, and I granted, I went to a town that had brilliant coaches. We didn't lose very often. Mm. Um, But this is what town? Garden City. Garden City. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I went to, so I I got accepted to Chaminade, served Mm -hmm. a year. I use that word very carefully (laughs) because I didn't want to be there. I did not get invited back year two. Okay. We, our our freshman year, we, um, we went into the last game of our regular season on the freshman team Mm -hmm. with the coaches warning us, there's not been a freshman team that's lost a game here in X amount of years. Mm. And we're not going to be the coaches that allow it. It was the first time I was ever nervous about a game. Mm. When I got to Garden City, it was like, no, just losing is not an option. This is Mm. what we do Mm. every week. Mm-hmm. We crush people. We don't allow people to score and mm-hmm. we crush people's souls on, on, you know, we crush the defense until yeah. they cry. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there were weeks where we'd win by 20, 30, 40 points. Wow. And, and that would be with the third string guys going into the start of the second half sometimes. Right. We were good and we had brilliant, brilliant coaches. I give them all the credit because we'd never had the best athletes. Right. We had the best coach. Coaching team. is everything. It was, a, it was a Lombardi-esque kind of feel for me. Mm-hmm. Do it again. Do mm-hmm. it again. Do it again. I love you it. You know? Yep. Uh, and we played this old school offense, wing tee and pulling guards and coaches would sit there and count your steps before you planted and turned. Do it again. Do it again. Mm, do it again. Take a lap. Do it again. Yeah. And it, there was no room to lose. So you, winning became normal, but you also saw the work ethic that went into winning. Winning became, that must have shaped your winning became a consistent thing for us. Right. Um, but I you saw why you won. Like, like oh, all yeah. those details that are so, so my vivid. Senior, so my senior year, mm-hmm. I go to summer football camp, mm-hmm. pulling guard. I come around, we're playing at CW Post. It rained like son mm-hmm. of a bitch the night before. Mm-hmm. Pulling guard, I come around. My best friend in camp is is the uh, the backside linebacker. Mm-hmm. So he's following me as I pull around the center, coming around, and I go to plant to make the left turn to block to go upfield. And I hear my foot go into the, like a suction cup, go into mm-hmm. the wet ground. Mm-hmm. And then I hear the snap and my knee, my knee goes and my foot's still stuck in the ground. They pull it out. Ugh. That was the end of my football career. Um, but I, and I was supposed to be varsity starting guard. That mm-hmm. was, that was my year to really shine the whole, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And I went to the coach and I said, coach, I got to have surgery. I'm not going to qualify to play until seven weeks into the season. Mm-hmm. The season's only eight seasons, eight weeks long. I even had enough sense to say, I don't expect to come back and take the starting job a week before the playoffs. Right. You're right. But I wanted to be around the team and I didn't want to be that quote unquote team manager. About two weeks in, he puts me on the field with some of the other coaches and he gives me a clipboard and he's like, whatever they tell you to do, just do it. Hmm. I'm like, I'm not dragging equipment in and out of the bin. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, and he put me out there and I, I worked side by side with the coaches. Every Saturday I was up on top of the box or I was wearing headphones down on the field. That's cool. And I'll, I'll never forget uh, first playoff game of, of the regular season, I'm watching fourth quarter. It's a fairly close game mm-hmm. and I'm watching and I'm observing things. And I call up to the, to the offensive line coach and I said, this guy should block this way instead of that one on this play. No, 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 no. And then all of a sudden he's like, pulls, pulls the guy out and he's yelling at him with my headphones like mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And he's holding a headphone so the guy can hear. And he's like, do this block instead of that one mm-hmm. that I had called. And boom, guy breaks it for 25 yard touchdown. I'm like, that was it. Wanted no 
glory for yeah, it. Yeah. But I'll never forget after the game, coach invited me into the coach's office. He's like, you come hang out with us for the, for the next hour until everybody's out of here. That's cool. It's like that was my moment. That's leadership camp one-on-one. And that's, that's the way I look at it with all this stuff is where can you provide opportunities for other people to mm-hmm. see their skills come to their, their full ability. Yeah. Full potential. Um, Full what do you think the thing. biggest mistake in leadership is today? Oh man, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of self-evolvement. There's yeah. there's a lot of a lot of lacking of self-awareness to to go back to that same word. Yeah. Um, there's poor culture designed. Yeah. You know, we it's, this is the third time I'll talk about it today. We talk a lot about core values, mission, vision, knowing where you want to go and how you're going to get there, mm-hmm. what you're willing to do for it, mm-hmm. and what you're willing to accept in return. Um, yeah. so I work on it a lot. Yeah. Um, and I will hire, I never put Corey through this because I knew, I knew what my core values for my company were when we hired him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, give your best, get shit done, um, and, and be a guide mm-hmm. that those are the three basic core values that we work everything off of. And guy comes to work every day leaves late. Well, he's part robot. Gets, gets you know, me right? done. He's a he's yes. part robot. That was his first this, nickname. We had this conversation a couple <laughs> weeks ago. So doesn't eat food. Doesn't I, drink. Yeah. Well, whatever. I've seen him eat a couple times. He loves that halal place that you talk about. It's right down the oh, block yeah. too, by the way. Yeah, it's right down there. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. yeah it's amazing. I, do you get the extra spicy? No. Get the extra spicy. They're, they're like, you know, it's spicy. I'm like, I know. Give me the spicy stuff. <laughs> no, I get the white. Don't sauce. treat me like the white boy. Yeah. I can do it. <laughs> so, you know, that's, the that's the way I look at it with him is he's willing to teach other people. Yeah. He's going to start getting interns and yeah, he's, he's acknowledged that he's got to come out of his comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was it? The last day or two, you know, just in the text that we had going back and forth, I sent us at a couple of things. Oh yeah. I was talking about, I got to improve my uh, communication, communication skills. skills, That's it. So, you know, he's given the best he's got. He's Mm -hmm. teaching other people how to do what he does Mm -hmm. on my dime, which is what I encourage him to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want you to do it on your time. I want you to do it on my time because it Mm -hmm. makes all of us better. And, Mm -hmm. You want to do more of it on your time. That's mm-hmm. on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does the three things that are most important to me. And as I build out the rest of those core values, I could guarantee you he'll fit into all of them because mm-hmm. he's been such a phenomenal employee for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's missing in a lot of companies is that they don't know. And so if you violate any of those core values, yep. you've earned the right to no longer work for us. Right. No matter whether you, you will be doing 10 million a year in commissions. It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. You, the minute you violate that you become a cancer to everyone else. Yeah. And I've had plenty of cancers around me in my career mm-hmm. that I've hired and that I feared firing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I, I won't do it again. Yeah. So I think, I think that's the part of self-awareness that's missing from so many businesses. And you can see the ones who map this out and do these exercises to establish a vision, a mission, a core values, mm-hmm. the, the why, mm-hmm. um, those are the ones that are going to live to be those hundred year old companies. Yeah. And I, I think that's a huge opportunity for so many people. Yeah. You also have to sincerely want what's best for the team more than you. It can't be a hundred percent. Cause then, cause if you're not taking care of, you can't help anybody. Right. You can't be an empty cup, yep. but like, it has to be sincere. Like you, like you, like Corey knows he's filmed enough one-on-one meetings of mine. They're all about them and doing something else other than working for the company. Yeah. It's yeah. almost hilarious. I was like, Oh, you should go be a travel vlogger. Yep. Let, let's get you started. Or yeah. you should go. Yeah. You should start your salon thing. Like whatever it is, I'm like giving them advice on how to go do it, yeah. which is not good for me, yeah. but it's good for them. I had a kid in the city who was, uh, you know, 
everybody wants to be an actor, a Broadway star, but I had mm-hmm. this one guy in particular who was a bartender mm-hmm. who just wanted to be on stage and had, had a voice and a talent. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell people all the time, what do you want to do five years from now? And if they mm-hmm. would tell me a slightly better version of the job I have today, I don't, even if you're the dishwasher mm-hmm. or you're the, if, the, if that's your goal, yeah. you have no aspirations to grow. I don't want you here. Yeah. I wouldn't hire you. Caused me a lot of good people. Um, mm-hmm. Probably lost me a lot of money because I ended up settling, which wasn't a good thing. Yeah. But I'll never forget this one kid. And I said, okay, what can I do to help? He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, if I can help you get a job doing what you love to do in three days, mm-hmm. that's my goal for you. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd have those conversations with a lot of employees. I had one, one girl who wanted to get into the army and she had to take the test. And mm-hmm. I said, every day when we slow down, because we always slow down, mm-hmm. I'll give you up to 30 minutes of my time. You come downstairs, we'll sit under the camera so nobody thinks there's anything going on because I had cameras everywhere in the place. Mm-hmm. I said, and I'll study with you for at least 30 minutes every day, mm-hmm. but you've got to make the effort to come get me. I'll stop what I'm doing and work mm-hmm. with you. She never took me up on it. Mm-hmm. But the kid who wanted to be the actor, every casting director that came into my place that I knew, Yep. I was like, that, hey, kid, kid, that yeah. kid looked like anything you guys ever might want to hire. Mm-hmm. Go meet him. I'd have him come out from behind the bar and deliver the drink so he could stop and talk to them. Yeah. That was always my thing. Is how, do you, how do I help you get to the next level of what you want to be? Getting um, the, the, the voicemail or the text message or the email <laughs> 10 years or 20 years later that the experience that they had with your company helped them get, that's, that's all that matters. It's way more important. If he leaves me tomorrow to go to work for Vayner, I would, I would not be the slightest bit disappointed. I'd be shocked based off of the things he's told me, but that's yeah. only because he doesn't want to, doesn't like want to travel. Do <laughs> no, but I like you know. to travel. I just don't like the city. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. travel every day. Yet, an- yeah. yet another thing we yeah. have in common. Like I, I just can't stand. I want to, yeah, I, I want to get on a train, I don't go it. to the garden, go to a hockey game. Yeah. Come back downstairs, get a slice of pizza from Roses with my 10 year old, right. get back on the train and come home. And that's it. Yeah. It's a Long Island thing. Yeah. Uh, listen, <laughs> and, and I was, I'm the same way. I was commuting doing 16, 18 hour days in the city for three years with the restaurant. I don't mm. want to do it any, when yeah. you're, when you're hitting traffic that takes you two hours to get home at two thirty, three o'clock yeah. in the morning, there's something no wrong. I don't want to do that anymore. That's so. why when they all self drive, will be good. I can't wait for that moment. I don't know. I just listen. Because <laughs> you can work. If I could work while I was going to the you know, city. You know, my house is about four minutes from this office, right? No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's, that's about the length of commute that I want. Yeah. I want to commute. Mine's about that, six from the gym. It's a little bit too far. Yeah. I keep saying I'm going to ride my bike to work, but I keep forgetting to put air in those damn tires. Yeah. 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 That's why. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> that's why you don't ride the bike. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I, I think we've been at this forever and I have yeah. no problem. I could keep going all night. Um, because I, I just love getting into these kind of conversations and yeah, I, I, I knew you'd be a good one to do it with because podcasts you, are fun. Yeah. Cause I, like, when do you sit down and actually talk to someone? This that's exactly it. With no like, distraction. I'm having a conversation. What, what are you talking about? I don't know. We're just bullshit. Yeah. And I'll play it back an hour later if I really want to know, but I know yeah. in my head, yeah. I'm in a better spot now than I was an hour and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah, man. So Ed, um, if people want to follow you, see you come to your gym, do any of your stuff, tell us where you what, follow me. What you're doing, where they can find you. Ed Turney at Ed Turney. T-U-R-N-E-Y. That's it. And you're yeah. everywhere. Pretty much. I don't really do Twitter. I should. We all should. I'm being lazy. LinkedIn and Twitter. The two places we all should be and never are. Yeah, I don't do that. Um, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Those two things. All right. I'm on Snapchat, kind of. I never post anything. You never see my Snapchat, right? Now. Yeah. I never do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is definitely, 
this is the most unique of all the conversations we've had so far. And, cool. and I appreciate it. I don't, I don't know what kind of value anybody's going to get out of it. Uh, and I had fun. And to be honest with you, <laughs> I was just going to say you're smiling. I had a great time. Yeah. Corey hasn't walked out on us yet. So yeah. listen, at least, three, at least three of us won. Yeah. So I, I hope you enjoyed it out there. If you liked what we're doing, give us a, sub, a subscribe, a like, a follow, a comment. You guys going to be everywhere. iTunes. The, the goal, the, the goal is, so we're streaming live on Facebook right now. Right. We're launching the actual quote unquote podcast on right. September 4th, which is my actual 50th birthday present oh, to myself. Cool. Yeah. I like that. So we'll launch then. And then the goal will be wherever Corey tells me it can go. That's where it's going to go. We'll put them on YouTube. Uh, we'll start publishing them to YouTube. Uh, they'll be on my Facebook business page. We're going to move them away from that. I think you should do the Joe Rogan thing. Get the TV, have Corey be the Jamie. You can Google things in real time, pull stuff up, pull interesting <laughs> we'll things just, up. We we'll just bring in all the computers and work on them there. I think that'd be cool. I think it's a cool little aspect. We'll, we'll work on it. Listen, yeah. I got, it comes up to money. I, <laughs> I, I said today, the reason why we're working on a folding table, mm -hmm. we didn't want to waste money. The reason why we didn't build a custom table is because I found other tables. So wait till you see the setup we have. I love it. Sometime the end of the month. I love the not fanciness. No, that, that, that's, hey. Corey used to. Old jeans. Corey used to work <laughs> like literally at my kitchen counter next to dirty dishes <laughs> or like on the couch or like on the floor. If like it works. Not fancy. Not fancy. I, the, Please. Nothing about me is really, personally is really fancy. I can yeah. put a suit on and a tux with the best of them. Yeah. But you know what? It's not who I, I want to be. Yeah. I'm with and, you. And that works for me. I'm you know? with you. Cool, man. Good deal. Good Thanks stuff. so much for yeah. coming. Thanks, Ed Turney, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great day. Bye.